My goodness, it's so good to be singing the name of Jesus with you. There is one name above every other name, and his name is Jesus. We love him so much. He breathes into dead things. He breathes into broken places. He breathes into places that we just can't get right. He breathes life into relationships. He breathes life into our finances. He breathes life into our homes. And today, we are ready to source from Jesus. We're ready to source from the strength of our lives. Come on, one more time. Let's give him a shout of praise in this 11 a.m. experience. Man, I love the name of Jesus. Everything he provides. And uh, man, we're so excited that you're here today to get into the provision, to get into the place where God can speak to you. I commend you today for coming to Hope. We're so glad we have a message of joyful anticipation of good things from an amazingly good God. And we're so glad that you came to Hope Church this morning. If you're watching for the first time online, welcome to Hope. You are our VIP. We want to celebrate. You could be doing anything, anywhere, at any time, but you chose to jump online and watch with us. Can we celebrate all our first-time guests online this morning, our VIPs, our church family? That's not in these seats. We love you, we welcome you, we miss you in this place. And if it's your first time in the house, welcome to Hope. We are so glad that you're here. Come on, let's give them a big shout. We're excited, we're really excited that you are here today and we wanna treat you right. We wanna love you, like Bob Marley says, and treat you right, right? We're super excited because we know that in God's presence there's possibility. There's possibility for life transformation, for life change. We've experienced a hope in Jesus that we can't shake. We've experienced something in him, in relationship with him, that's changed our whole lives, and we want it to change your life today, too. If you haven't met me yet, my name's Nate. I'm the lead pastor here at Hope, and it's an honor and a privilege to be a part of this house. Currently, we are in an Advent season. The whole world is, really. The Advent season. How many of you guys ever heard the word Advent? Yeah, it's a Greek word. The word Advent simply means coming. Everybody say coming coming. And December 1st through December 24th is a season where people remember, celebrate, and commemoration the coming or the birth of Jesus Christ. And this is all about the countdown to Christmas. It's all about celebrating coming. It's like Santa's coming. Jesus came. You know, all the good things are coming here. I'm doing Christmas countdown with my boys every single day. And sometimes they get presents. Sometimes they get different stuff. But it's exciting to celebrate. Christmas is coming. You know the elf. He said, Santa's coming, right? We are excited in this place because Jesus came to us. He came to be Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is coming, and he actually already came. And because he came, there are so many advantages made available to us. And that's what this series is called, Advent, and we know it's spelled wrong, Advent to Jizz, all right? Advent advantages made available to us because Jesus came. I don't know about you, but because he came into my life, because he came down, my life went up dramatically, drastically. I'm so thankful for God. Because he came down, my life goes up. Because he came down and was rejected by his father, I am fully accepted by, by my father. It's amazing, right? Because he bore my shortcomings, that's right, I can live shame-free. There is therefore now no condemnation for those of you in Christ Jesus. If you have accepted Jesus, you have no longer sin has a hold on you. You can live shame-free, guilt-free, condemnation-free. Isn't that exciting? And it's because he came, it's because of the Advent season that we have this advantage to live without guilt, without remorse, without regrets, right? 
Because Jesus came, I love his advent. It's given us so many advantages. Turn to your neighbor and say, you have the advantage. You have the advantage in Jesus for everyday life. Man, I have seen this couple. They're just wearing Santa hats. They're in the house today, and they are just so in love with each other. Every time I tell them to turn to the neighbor, they kiss each other, and it's so awesome. We just celebrate true love in the house this morning. And you might think they're newlyweds, but I'm pretty sure they've been married for about 25, 30 years. It's incredible. We're celebrating your success this morning. Man, it's so fun to be enjoying church. If you're sitting there with your spouse and you're not enjoying this, just kiss them or do something crazy. Church is to be enjoyed, not endured. So we have advantages. Psalms 103 is our foundational verse for this series, and it says this. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Come on. Remember. Remember some stuff around Christmas especially. Forget not all his benefits. That's a nice word for advantages. Don't forget all of his advantages. And so that's what we're doing in the series of talks. And today, we're going to start with what happened on Christmas night. So cuddle in. Get close to your partner. We're going to look at the Christmas story together. You guys ready? Luke chapter 2, verse 8. I don't know if you're sitting at home and you're by a fire or in your living room or on the toilet or wherever you're at this morning, just cuddle in real cute and sweet. We're about to read a Christmas story, okay? So verse 8, it says it like this. Now there were some country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Doesn't it sound like Christmas? I just feel like it's so Christmassy. It's beautiful. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. It sounds like Christmas, but this is like, bam, blam, kadam, wham, thank you, ma'am. It's like, wow, something big just happened. And they were greatly afraid. Ever say afraid? All the angels, maybe you've talked to angels before. I don't think you have because whenever an angel talks to you, you get afraid. You might pee your pants a little bit. This angel made them super afraid. It's like, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. Talk about a surprise, okay? And the angel said to him, don't be so afraid, you know? For behold, I bring you good tidings or good news. Somebody say good news. Come on, this is a good news church. We're committed. Jesus is a good news God. We will always bring you good news. I know in 2020 you've grown accustomed and gotten comfortable with bad news, but I'm still going to mix it up every weekend here at Hope Church and bring you good news only. Great news. Come on. We're good news people. And the angel said, I bring you good news of great joy. These are not sad tidings. These are glad tidings. They're not sadiators. They're gladiators. They're super pumped. And it goes to all people. Everybody. All people means everybody. 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 All people. Jesus came for all people everywhere all the time with good news of great joy. And that includes you. Tell your neighbor. That includes you. I saw it. It happened again. Verse 11. For the Lord is born to you this day in a city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, which sounds beautiful, but it's really just what they use to wipe up the milk from the cows. It's disgusting, actually. It's like a milk rag, okay, for dirty cows in a barn. And suddenly there was an angel, a multitude, with the angel, a multitude, a heavenly host, praising God with joy, saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. I love our God because he's not a God of heaven, he's a God of earth. 
and he brings peace on earth, goodwill on earth towards men. He's not just some religious out there, up there watching me. Um, you see me when I'm sleeping, you know, some weirdo in the back, you know. No, he's really good God who's invested and interested and committed to peace on earth and goodwill, right relationships with man, humanity. Jesus was born to die. I know it seems crazy to us. It's hard to imagine because we were all born to live life to the fullest. Jesus was born to exemplify life to the fullest, but his real purpose, his real intent for his advent, his coming, was to die. To be a perfect sacrifice. He was born, sent to the earth to die for people that he was born into. And he could have been executed in that day in any way, shape, or form. They had a lot of different ways they killed people in the Roman government. But he was hung on a cross. Everybody say a cross. A T. And I know this isn't that deep, but just stick with me. A T. Everybody say a T. A cross has two lines. <laughs> I know it's really deep. There's a vertical line. And a horizontal line. Go ahead and say that with me. There's a vertical line and a horizontal line. And Jesus spilled his blood for vertical relationship between man and God and horizontal relationship between man and men. God and men. Because the angel said when this Jesus comes, he's going to bring peace horizontally. He's going to bring peace on earth and it's good towards men. That's this way. Everybody say this way. The word peace in the Old Testament, which this story is not Old Testament, but in the Old Testament, it's translated, it means for all to go well with you. It's the word shalom, all to go well with you, well-being. I wish you good things in your life. But in the New Testament, the word for peace is a rene. It does not mean well-being and good tidings. It doesn't mean I wish that all go well with you. It means right relationships. It means wholesome relationships between God vertically and man horizontally. So let me paraphrase what this angel is saying in their Greek language. It says, I bring you good news. Everybody say, this is some good news. I'm about to take some advantage of the Advent season. For unto you, Jesus is coming, and he's going to bring peace on earth, not just in peace in earth and heaven, peace on earth through correcting your relationships by helping you categorize and correct dysfunctional relationships. I love a God who's not so out of touch, but he's in touch with the feelings of my humanity and my infirmities that he connects me to real life here on earth, not just eternal life forevermore in heaven, but real life practicality on earth that I can put into practice, take advantage of, and everything changes because of Jesus coming to earth. The fact is, Jesus got your relationship right. Jesus, the person, got your relationship right with God. But he had a righteous standard that no one else could meet. And I'm so thankful for that part of Christmas. That's what most people celebrate. On our best day, we can never meet the standard, the glorious standard of God. As a matter of fact, the Bible relates your very best attempts or efforts to meet it as filthy rags. And they're actually bloody rags. Not like the cute swaddling rags in the manger. These are bloody rags. That's brought into like some different images I don't even want to give you, okay? They're like filthy rags compared to God 
in his glorious standard. It's not even close. I'm telling you, Jesus had to come to be the standard that God used for you to be able to get right with him. At the end of this conversation today, we're going to have an opportunity to get right with God. Your best day, you can have a hundred best days. It won't come close to what Jesus has done on the cross for you, what he alone can do to pay for your shortcomings, for your mistakes, for your mishaps. He can be the perfect sacrifice. All you got to do is believe on him. And you will get right relationship, righteousness with God. The Bible says you are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Woohoo! That's empowering. That's shame-free. Come on now. That's shame off of you, not shame on you. It means there is therefore now no condemnation, no shame, no guilt, no remorse, no regrets for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Because God corrected relationship with him through his son vertically. But what about horizontal relationships. I love God because he's so practical, not just so powerful. He's practical in our everyday lives, not just the day that we die and where we spend eternity. See, Jesus the man can get you straight with God, but Jesus's teachings, Jesus's principles can get you straight with people. Don't just leave Jesus to some spiritual thing that gets you to heaven. No, no, no. Not just some weird relationship that helps you when you're really stressed. No, he helps you every day with all problems all the time. Take advantage of Jesus and his principles with people in your everyday life. You know, most people are living hurt because they misappropriated a relationship. They misappropriate. That means they should be in one category of relationship and they're in another and you're getting hurt constantly because of the category that you created for somebody to stand in that's not that right category. You understand what I'm saying? They put that relationship in a wrong category, expecting something from it it was never designed to give. And they accuse the person, this is the funny part, they accuse the person of betrayal when they misuse the relationship, which inevitably happens. But the fact is, the person should have never gotten access to that relationship in the first place. And so you're acting like you're a victim, but really, you're responsible for who's in what category, not them. The Bible says, guard your heart. With all diligence, like with your whole heart, guard your heart, for out of it flows the issues of your life, good issues and bad issues, good stuff and bad stuff. Most of my issues, I want to just clear it up, they're not created by the devil. The devil creates like not very many of my issues. You might be surprised by this. Most of your issues aren't created by people. (laughs) Other people don't create issues for you. Most of my issues are created by what I allow into my heart. What I allow into my heart. I guard my heart with all diligence because out of my heart flows the issues of my life. That's personal ownership, responsibility. It might not be fun or fancy, but it's the truth. You're not a victim of people hurting you as much as you're a victim of not seeing the categories and misappropriating relationships. You can't just accuse people. People get mad and they do things to me, but they can't get my heart mad because they can't get into the heart. Because people do bad things to me, I can still have good issues when people do bad things if I keep my heart clean and my relationships categorized. I cannot let myself be poisoned by what other people do to me. Why? Because I've got to guard my heart to make sure my life has good issues in it. And we all miss the mark on this. We all have been hurt by people, all experience hope deferred by people, but we should be learning from Jesus, not ignoring the advantage that Jesus gives us to get better and better at appropriating relationships right. See, you didn't create my issues, but I let what you do to me corrupt my heart. And my heart actually is what creates the issues for me 
when things go south. My heart is actually what created the issue for me when I thought it was good. I don't know if you like this teaching, but how I respond to you. <laughs> See, I'm going to forgive you before you even get a chance to hurt me. We talked about this last, last week. We're just going to opt out. Who's still opting out of offense in this place? We're just going to choose that. We're opting out of offense. We're going to live unoffendable. And that's, the way that happens is because I'm not letting your action take room in my heart. It hurts, but I'm not appropriating, expecting something from you that you're hurting me with. I'm not going to live in pain for the next 10 years over an issue that you created. So whether you ask me for forgiveness or not, I'm going to give it to you. It doesn't matter. I'm going to loose you from this. I'm going to let it go because I am not going to give you the power to control the next 10 years of my life. No thanks. I choose freedom through forgiveness in Jesus Christ. See, Jesus, when he was starting his earthly ministry, watch how smart Jesus was. We're going to look at his example, John chapter 2, verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at Passover, the party day, during the feast, I love parties. Jesus liked to party. He was started at a party. Many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. They saw what he did, and they believed in him. You're catching that. But Jesus did not commit himself to those relationships because he knew all men. He knew men. So he did not commit himself to those kind of relationships. He knew people. Right from the beginning, our God is a God of wisdom. Jesus is very aware of the nature of people. Now, this might hurt your feelings, but I don't care because it's in a good way, and it'll help you later in life save you some pain. Very few people in the world are ever really responding to you and who you are. They're very much responding to what you can do and what you bring to the table. People are more responding to what you do, your performance, what you bring to life, more than who you are and what you are for real. And Jesus knows this, and he's bringing it with passion. I mean, my God, Jesus is on fire, starting with water into wine. Somebody's like, "Woo! Christmas season, come on now. That's a pretty big deal. Multiplying food with a little boy's lunch, 5,000 people get fed plus. Healing bodies left and right. Delivering people from demons. I mean, the guy is on fire. Families are being restored. Revelational teaching is rolling out of his mouth like never before. They say, you're not like any of the other teachers. When you teach, revelation happens. Money is being found in fish's mouths. The guy is incredible. He's famous. Everywhere he goes, people are literally following him because he's healing diseases, leprosy, blindness, broken, bleeding, withered hands, blind eyes, all being healed and set free because Jesus is amazing. Let's just face it. He's awesome. He's God in flesh. And Jesus is tearing it up, and these people are singing his praises because his performance and his, what he brings to them is so attractive. What he does, the verse said. What he does. They love the signs and the wonders that he did. They're loving this guy like crazy, following him literally everywhere he goes. But see, Jesus had a very wise attitude towards all of these relationships. He did not commit himself to the people who fell in love with what he could do. Maybe from a very young age, I would maybe just ask, just throw this question out there. Have you been committing yourself to a father-parent relationship just based simply off what you do and how you make your dad look good? Is your whole relationship, you think you got great things going with your father, maybe with your mother, and you're just simply performing and they give you applause and you're just really happy because they're falling in love with the way you make them look and what you do. You have performance-based relationships ever from the beginning of your life. Your teachers fell in love with you because of what you did. 
Your friends fell in love with you because of what you did on a skateboard or in a, on a ball field with your arm or with your sport ability, with your musical instrument, with your voice. People love what you do. And do you realize maybe most of your relationships, if not maybe some of you, all of them, are based on what you've done? And they don't know you, but they love what you do. And what you do is admirable, and what you do is awesome, and what you do makes me excited. Because there's a difference. I want you to get this. There's a difference between you and your gifts. There's a difference between you and what you can do. There's a difference between you and your talents. This is why I'm not an advocate of people getting married super quickly. Because they marry an image of a person, not the person. And I'm like, well, switching gears, what are you talking about? Why am I not into the fast date, relate, mate, get engaged, and get married thing? Because I believe you need to see a person throughout a whole season of crazy. Because what if in September, their, their left aunt, you know, somebody's aunt died, and they go into a manic depression from September to October, and you never saw that? You miss September every year? You have to live with that anxiety and that fear and that pain for the rest of your life, and you didn't even know they were broken because of what happened to them or where they were abused. I mean, come on. When you, when you get into a relationship with somebody, when you first start, start dating somebody, you have not met the real them. We know this. You're meeting and interacting with their ambassador. You know, the clean-shaven, cute breath, you know, good-mannered person to meet, nicely dressed. The real them is still at home. They don't come on the date with you. First date, second date, third date, fourth date. They're just not with you. And it would be good to know that they're really, really messy. That their feet stink every single night. That they have bad breath all the time. They're just lazy people who sit on the couch when they're just not motivated. Wouldn't you like to know that about the man you're about to marry? And not just be fooled by his ambassador who loves to work hard? Before, wouldn't you like to know that when you see her interact with her family, there's so much dysfunction and you are going to be manipulated for the rest of you. Wouldn't you like to see that up close and personal? That her tendency is going to be what her mother is? So I want to be around for the holidays before I marry you. That's for sure. I want to see the dysfunction of your family and I want to choose to love you anyways. But I want to know what I'm getting into. I don't want the ambassador. I want the real you, boo. Yeah? And that's the real them is still at home. Before you have to live with them for the rest of your life, you should get to know the real them. Not just what they do, not just what they show, but who they are and what they naturally bend towards. You haven't met that person yet, maybe. And you don't get married to the representative, you get married to the person. Right? And it's bad for everybody if you've never met the real them before you say, I do. You catch me? And Jesus has all these things happen. These people love Jesus. They're following him. But they really don't know him and he knows it. They don't know the real him. They know his signs. They know his wonders. They know what they love about him, the ambassador, representing God on earth. But they don't know Jesus. They know his gift. I'm going to say his gift. And they have appreciation for his gift. And it's not bad. Do you know why? That gift is for them. It's not for him. Every person has a gift, a talent, something that they bring to the world. And those gifts are not for you. They're to be given to the people around you. We all have been given gifts. I have a gift for you today. And if I don't use it for you, I am in danger of losing my gift. My gift is not for me to build me, to build my kingdom. My gift is to serve people with. We are gifted to serve because it's not for me. It's for you to build you up, to make your life better, to have you connect to a relational God that's always been for you, even if you've never seen it, to give you a new perspective, a new lens, to connect to Jesus. That's, that's what we're gifted for. My gift is for you, not me. 
And if I know that, it keeps it clean for every heart I'm interacting with. And Jesus knew that people following him, falling in love with him, were actually falling in love with what he offered, not who he was. They don't know him for the real him. So you need to identify the people in your life that you are designed to help. First category of people, the people I'm here on the planet to help. Write it down. That's what I'm saying. First category of people that you are here for are the people that you're here to help. You're here to help. Most of the time, these relationships are temporary. They pop in and out of your life, not really getting the real you. These people love to receive from Jesus, and they didn't really even know Jesus. They knew Jesus' wonders, but they didn't know him because some people don't want to know the person that they're receiving from. It's hard to really perceive and receive if you really know the person that you're receiving from. And what you perceive about them determines what you receive about them. I'll say it like this. The value you set on a person determines what you get from that person. The value set determines what you get. The way you perceive really determines what you receive. Same person, Jesus, different reception. Same person, awesome gift, different reception of that gift. The woman at the well gives us a great example. She would not listen to a word Jesus said because she didn't know who she was talking to. And he shows up. He couldn't receive him as God's man of power until he shifted the way that he saw her with his gift for her. It was like, what are you bothering me for? He's like, hey, lady, hey, woman. I mean, that's kind of dangerous, but he's like, hey, woman, how about a drink from the well? Could you get me a drink from the well? I'm here and I'm thirsty. Could you get me a drink from the well? And he's like, what are you bothering me for? I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew, we hate each other, just instinctively. Jews hate us, we hate you. I'm a woman, you're a man. I got a lot of spidey senses, and I'm really into men, and men are really into me, because I'm probably beautiful, drop-dead gorgeous, you know what I'm saying? Who and she's like, what is going on here in this relationship? Who comes to a well without a bucket? What are you, a moron? That's her response to Jesus. Hey, could you get me a drink? Why are you here without a bucket, you idiot? If you knew you were coming to get a drink, you need a bucket. Get your own bucket. I'm not your slave. I'm not your woman. Get your own water. That was her response. And then Jesus said, you know what? That's enough of this. Go get your husband for me. And all of a sudden, things shift. She says, I don't, I don't have a husband. And he's like, yeah, actually, you've had five. And you're living with number six, who you call your friend. She's like, oh, snap. What just happened? He showed her his gift. And something comes out of her mouth next that changes how she receives from him. Up until this point, he's been Jesus. He's been amazing. He's been awesome. But she has received nothing from him and is really ticked off by him asking her for something as a Samaritan woman at a well. All of a sudden, she literally says out of her mouth, but sir, not moron, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Woo. I see your gift. How do you know all this stuff about me? I literally perceive you, therefore I'm about to shift in the way I receive from you. Jesus was the same guy, the same God, who had the same giftings and good things for her. He wanted to change her life. Are you catching this? He had really good things to set her free from the relational damage that she was created and living in over and over and over again. I mean, most of us don't have five husbands, you know what I'm saying? I mean, this, good, this, girl was, this lady was good at ruining relationships. It's like I came to set you free and give you life to the fullest and set you up to win for the rest of your existence, to bring you into your destiny where she would never thirst again, never be at a deficit again relationally. But I would say it's the same here. But until she perceived his gift, she could not receive any of that greatness. 
Until you receive the gift, you will never step into the greatness that the gift is here to serve you for. Until she perceived him, she could not receive from him. And his gift was to serve her. Your gifts are for certain people to be helped and served and brought forth into the next step of their destiny. It's not, his gift is not for him to be served water. Woman, get me a drink. I'm gifted. Boom. It's not for him to get served. As a matter of fact, we never see Jesus take a drink. <laughs> she gets so excited, and she just runs off. As soon as she saw her gift, his, her life, as soon as she saw his gift, her life was radically changed. She said, I met a man. She went back to all her friends. I met a man. We're like, sure you did, honey. You meet lots of men. You really like men. We get it. No, she's like, I met a man, and he told me everything about myself. All she starts talking about, I met a man with a really cool gift, and he changed my life, and he can change your life too. Perceive him like a gifted man, and you'll receive freedom forevermore. And she brings the whole town. Come on, there's a guy with a gift for you, and he can change your life. His name is Jesus. So these are relationships. I want you to understand, if Jesus was looking for something, he'd be disappointed. This is a relationship that he's here for to serve others. They're not your friends. So many times people try to become friends with the people they're here to help. Ah, it's dangerous. And if you don't take your cues and you identify and separate your relationships like Jesus did, you'll be hurt by people that you're trying to serve. You'll be hurt by people that you're trying to serve. And you will get, you will get this mindset like I'm being used for pe from people that I want to help. Why is it every time I go to help somebody, they use me? And you did help, but they never loved you for it. Because they're not your friends. Why are you expecting to get love for help? You're here. Your gift is for you to help them. And you, you realize, man, these people in my life, they're just here for the cheer. They're just here for the good times. They're here to be helped by me. And it's an okay thing unless you misunderstand the relationship. See, this is why I love Jesus. He saves us so much hope deferred and helps us to live free horizontally. He saves us so much hope deferred from people and relationships that we put ourselves in and helps us live free horizontally. Talk about advantage. In real life, actually, just as much as he helps you vertically with God, he helps you horizontally with everybody else. Talk about the advantage. Come on, give him a shot of praise for one second. Yes, 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 yes. I'm going to move on to another relationship. You ready for it? Let's, second relationship, friends. Let's talk about friendship. Friendships are based on two things according to Jesus and his teaching, and I'll show it to you in a minute. But write these two things down, access and information. Friends are based on access to you and information about you. I can call you a friend all day long, but you do, if you don't have access and you don't have information, you're just an acquaintance. You're not my friend. A best friend is the one who knows the most about you and has the most access to you. For me, it's my wife, Sarah. She knows the most about me. She has the most access to me. Right? Jesus gives us the insight. He gives us the advantage when he shows us a shift that he made with his servants, disciples, and he called them friends. Their relationship changed. And he said, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. And his next statement really shows us what these two things are that make them friends and not just the people to help. Because a servant, he says, does not know what his master's business is. He has no knowledge, information. 
So in other words, Jesus says, I'm going to shift this relationship and pull you close by telling you things that other people will never hear. And he had some circles. He had an inner circle, Peter, James, and John. He had another discipleship circle that was the 12. Then he had the 70. Then he had the multitudes. And he had categories of relationships all, all the time around him. And he said to these people, intimacy is information. He would go talk to thousands of people, which is like a lot more than thousands. It's like hundreds of thousands in our culture today. And after he was done talking to them, he'd go to his friends and he'd say, this is what I was really saying. I told them a story. I'm going to tell you what the story means. And then they write that down. That's Peter, James, John. Intimacy is information. Let's say it together. Intimacy is information. Intimacy has nothing to do with your body, nothing to do with your bedroom. Intimacy is information. There are people in bedrooms every single night with zero intimacy in the relationship because they don't communicate and they don't talk to each other. They know nothing about each other's future, their dreams, their life, their ambitions, their enjoyments. They don't share those things. Whoever gets that part of you is getting the intimate part of you. Intimacy is information. Samson and Delilah, we saw it a couple weeks ago. I want to know the information. You're not intimate with me until I know the information. What is it to the key to your strength? She's craving intimacy to get to the information. You understand? Information is intimacy. Whoever gets that part of you is getting the intimate, most intimate part of your body, part of who you are. It's not your body. It's who has the information. Best friend, most information. You don't give information to acquaintances. That's when they inevitably will misuse it and you say, they betrayed me. No, you gave information out to people who should never had access to that information. You just got flipped. The script just got flipped. You are no longer a victim of the relationships that you have. You are a victim of the information that you give away and the heart that you do not guard. And I love Jesus' teaching because it always teaches us ownership, responsibility. Never a victim, always a victor. Never arriving but always growing in the tendencies to hear a new reality, and take advantage of it. You understand what I'm saying? They had no choice but to misuse that information because they had never earned the right to have it in the first place. You understand what I'm saying? A real friend is somebody who has information and access, but they don't use it against you. A real friend allows you to grow even though they know they know all your garbage. A real friend is somebody who believes in your growth potential even though they know where you failed. They see where you've been, they know who you are, and they believe you can still keep moving forward because they give you space to never, ever, ever be that ever again as they watch you grow. I know what you are, I know what you're living through, but I'm going to give you space to never be any of those things ever again because I'm believing and rooting for your growth. If people are going to stay friends through life, they will have to accept that the person that they know so well is going to change. I know you, my family knows me as the, well, my sister Kelly, she left when I was about 12. She knows me as this 12-year-old boy. I'm a 34-year-old man this week, right? And she stopped relating to me. She went to Texas. She became a traveling nurse. Now she lives in San Diego. But the person that she knows is still 12 in her head. Your family does that to you all the time. You're always going to be their little brother. You're always going to be the little cousin or whatever it is. You're never, and that's why relationships around the holidays are so hectically stressful because nobody gives you a chance to grow from where they left you off. Your high school friends from friends still treat you like you were smoking pot in high school. It's like, I, I, I know we're friends and we were friends and we picking up where we left off. I'm not ready to go on the porch tonight. I'm a different person. I'm growing. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? 
And the holidays bring up all sorts of things, like who am I really? Because they're telling me who I really am, but that's not who I am anymore. And it's like, whoa, oh, oh. A real friend grows with you, gives you access, and says, you are going to change. I know so much about your high school history, but I'm giving you access to not be that. And for any relationship to last, they have to change too. Do you realize you hook up with those people from high school and you're like, oh, snap, we're not friends anymore. Because they haven't changed, but you have. <laughs> it's like, I'm not attracted. I'm not like really just craving a buzz tonight. I'm like, <laughs> I have two kids, man, and a wife, and I just don't smoke pot anymore. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's just not attractive to me. You're in the same spot with two kids and a wife, but I'm not. That's not a friend. It's not a friend. It's somebody that you're here to help. I don't care if they're your brother or your sister. They're not friends. They're here to be helped. Stop expecting something that will inevitably wound you when you don't get it. You understand what I'm saying? When you're a friend and God has done a great work in you, you're going to see one of two th things happen with your best friends. God's going to begin to work in them too, and they're going to go and grow with you, or you're going to try to hold you back in your past season of who you were. And some of you are so needy and so insecure that you have to be willing to sabotage God's bright future just to have a friend. And they're not friends. They're toxic relationships. But because you're so needy and insecure, and if you, don't, if you lose them, you lose everybody. What's my whole childhood been? Just lose them and live on. Come on, baby. Just keep moving. A friend is not worth your future. Come on now. And to be Jesus' friend, we see time and time again, you have to keep moving forward. If you will follow Jesus' life, there was always people that were trying to hold Jesus down in one place, saying, stay here with us. You're amazing. Why are you moving over there? Now we're all going to have to follow you over here. We love you so much. We'll take care of you. We'll honor you. Just keep doing this crazy, awesome stuff for us. We want more food. He says, no, I must go through Samaria. He gets to that city, and they're like, oh, man, we love you. You told us things we never knew about ourselves. You're incredible. Jesus, we want you to stay in Samaria. And he's like, nope, i got to keep going to Jericho. I got to move on. They went up to the Mount, Mount of Transfiguration. And he goes up there with Peter, James, and John, his three best friends. No longer servants. I call you friends. And up, up on the mountain, Moses shows up. And, and Elijah shows up. He's like, all these little boys are like, wow, I had posters of you on my wall when I was growing up. Elijah, the prophet. Moses, the pastor. Oh, my gosh, you guys are incredible. He's like, this is awesome. And Jesus is transfigured before their very eyes. And what did Peter say? Let's build three permanent structures right here. He said, let's build something permanent here. Let's stay here. Let's build a tabernacle. One for you, Jesus. One for Moses. And one for Elijah. This is awesome. Let's stay on top of the mountain forever just relating to God with us. God and us. God with us. Wouldn't that be nice if you could just live on a mountain all the time with just you and Jesus? Wouldn't it be nice if you just went from heaven to earth? Wouldn't it be just nice if you stayed at Martha's who cooks and cleans and babies us all the time? Wouldn't it be nice if we stayed in Zacchaeus's crib you know the guy who was really rich stealing from people that house was amazing Judas is like can we go back to Zach's house wouldn't it be nice to go to Jairus's prestigious religious home where they rose that girl from the dead we could stay there they would let us live there for at least a month Peter said let's stay on top of the mountain just me and you Jesus and Moses and Elijah and Jesus said nah nah Peter we got to go back down to serve people we got to go back down to serve people. If you're going to be Jesus' friend, you always have to stay serving people. Our life is not a mountaintop experience with Jesus. 
It's about relating and getting right relationships, helping people horizontally. We see it right after Jesus is raising from the dead. He goes to the cross. He raises from the dead. After three days, Mary grasps for his garment because he's really there. And he says, don't cling to me. Don't try to hold me back because I got to ascend to the Father. Don't touch me. I'm about to move on. See, Jesus kept moving and moving and moving, and people kept on trying to pull him back, hold him down, hold him down. And you know, every friendship is in danger when God keeps raising you higher, and somebody's trying to grab your coattails and bring you back down to where you left off with them, to where you think they're at. They're always pulling you back down to where they want you to be. Oh, you're just that. Oh, you're just this. Oh, you're just that. A relationship that can go the distance is a friend that grows as you grow. It's not insecure or intimidated by your growth. They actually celebrate your success. They cheer you on. They're not critics of you. They're cheerleaders of you. That's the kind of friend that you want. Come on, a friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So until you see dysfunction, you don't know why is it so hard to be friends with people that I'm helping. I'm always getting used and abused. It's because they're not your friends, honey. Stop expecting something you're never going to get. Okay, a friend is a person that loves at all times. Hard seasons, happy seasons. I'd say, I propose, both have their challenges, but I think it's much harder to be a good friend in a happy season where somebody else is successful and you're not. And, oh, man, your cat died, and you just lost that, and your uncle died, and, and this is happening. Oh, let me just come swoop in and get you a casserole. That's easy. The real test of a friendship is what do they do when you succeed and you ascend further than them? You know your friends more in success than you do in failure. So let's talk about that loving at all times thing. Because the world can't seem to grasp this one. There are advantages in Jesus that people without Jesus cannot take hold of. Loving at all times, like all times. A relationship is like a bank account, okay? There's going to be good times. There's going to be bad times, right? There's going to be times where me and Doug, we're like best friends. Hey, Doug, how you doing this morning? We're like best friends. Let's pretend like we're best friends, all right? The pressure on his life. I'm telling you, his home, his marriage, his kids, wherever he's at, his finances, the pressure, whatever it is, there's going to be a place where he has seasons where things are intensified, and in that time, he needs a better friend. He needs me more. He's going to make some withdrawals on me, more withdrawals than he does deposits. So we're going to have like these withdrawals happening, okay? Now, that's great. He can do that as long as during the lifetime of our relationship, he has made constant deposits. It's going to be great. When he writes that check, there's going to be something to back it up. Does that make sense? Relational check, it's not going to bounce. It's going to be backed up. And because of his years of making deposits into that relationship, when he comes up to a time where he doesn't have a lot to get, he's pulling on me, he's pulling on me, and there's going to be plenty for him to pull on, to give account to, because the account is so full. But then he's going to get his stuff in order. And my life's going to be a mess, a hot mess, okay? And my life is just going to run into whatever it is. In this world, Jesus said, you will have troubles. But be brave, take heart, he's overcome the world of your trouble, right? So I got troubles, I don't have a lot to give, Doug's my friend, and I need him now like I didn't need him before. Man, I need you to pray for me. Man, I need you to help me out. Man, could you literally give me some money? I'm in a tight spot. Man, I need, I need, I need. And what happened? His account has enough savings in it. There's enough deposits in there because we're mutually invested in each other throughout the relationship we are in trouble this and it's going to work but we are in trouble if you have a friend and you're doing all the giving and all there is is deposits and there's no deposits back when you're doing all the giving and you call them your best friend 
you are dysfunctional. Let's just say it. It's very dysfunctional. When you look at something that's so one-sided and call it normal, you're working out of a brokenness that you are bound to lose in. You are headed for what we call a toxic relationship. A toxic relationship is a relationship you call normal, but they're doing all the taking and you're doing all the giving. And what's sad is they think it's the way it's supposed to be. They're getting the best of you. You're getting the worst of them. And uh, my gosh, they're getting all the passion, all the priority in your life, and you're just an option in theirs. I might show up. I might be there. And you call it normal. Toxic relationships, third category. You ready for them? It's kind of cruel, but it's really brutally honest. They are predators. So I've got the people I help. I have the friends. And then I have predators. Predators. Toxic relationships are people that want the best you have, but have very little invested in it. They're friends that want the best you have, but don't invest back in you. Toxic relationships are usually relationships that feed some vulnerability that you have. There's a vulnerability that you have that a predator has spotted, and when they feel that vulnerability, and they keep that hook in your mouth by bringing it back to you and doing that again and again. A predator relationship is usually someone that appeals to your flesh. You think they're cool. You are... You have a flesh and you have a spirit, right? There are people that you get around and they will just pull one or the other out of you. You get around them and there's just people you get around and they pull the best out of you. I mean, they're just amazing people and you always leave feeling refreshed. And then there's people you get around and they pull the worst out of you. Sometimes it's during the holidays. Can we just be honest, right? You know who I'm talking about. You see their image in your head right now. Hopefully, I am one of those people that pull the best out of you. I hope that you're a pleasure to go home with on a Sunday afternoon because being around me has appealed to your spirit, man, not your flesh, man. You feel elevated. You feel empowered. And the fruit of that spirit has begun to surface in your life. You leave better because you hung out with me. And you know what? Being around somebody should pull the best out of you. There are some people you get around, they pull the worst out of you, the best out of you. You know who we're talking about? Being around you that day. I want it to be a good day. Everybody say good day. There are people that appeal to your flesh. I mean, you get around people that, you're, even in your home, they pull bad attitudes out of you all the time. Maybe that person's your wife. You're like, you're, oh, you get the worst of me because you always pull the worst out of me. I can't win with you. Maybe it's your husband. You are so cranky. You pull a bad attitude out of me because you're always so depressed, honey. Right? Pull reckless thinking out of you. You get around people you met in high school, you knew in high school, they just pull this reckless thing out of you. It's like, oh my gosh, I am doing things that is not who I am anymore. They appeal to the worst in you. And usually those are relationships that while you are trying to hang on to them, God is trying to separate you from them. You have to see an enemy in your life for what it is. Anyone that feeds a weakness that God is trying to transform into a strength, he is your enemy. She is your enemy. An enemy. Yes, I said it. It's an enemy to your destiny. It's a strong word, but an enemy is anybody that's investing in your weakness that God is trying to deliver you from. Like set you free from that brokenness. If God's trying to release something out of you, but there's a relationship that keeps feeding it back into you, keeping it strong, that's the enemy of your future. It's a toxic relationship. It's called a predator. Lose it. Lose it. So the first order of business, when I have these toxic relationships, what do I do with them? Number one step, you confront it. You must confront it. Write it down. Toxic relationships process. First step, confront it. It's got to be the person that's crossed a line. You say, man, this, this violated me. These things that are beyond my boundaries. I'm getting mixed signals from you. This has gone too far. It must be 
confronted with clarity. Because whatever you are not willing to confront has the capacity to control you. Relationally, whatever you're not willing to confront has the capacity to step back into your life and control you. You must confront what's dysfunctional. Number two, if it's a best friend that's turned toxic after you confronted it, you have to check and see. Is there anywhere that I can compromise? Especially if they're in a relationship with Jesus. Is there a compromise? Are my expectations for our friendship way too high that you could never meet unless you were Jesus Christ himself? Is there a place that I can compromise? Are all my terms right? What are your terms? Communicate with me. Can I meet those terms? What, uh, what terms are acceptable according to my standards and your standards? See, you're not going to get everything you want out of one relationship. There is no one relationship, husband, wife, dad, best friend, that can ever be your God, ever. But when you get to the end of the day, if that relationship is godly, it has to have more assets than it does liabilities. It has to have more deposits or as equal amount of deposits as it does withdrawals. And when you come to this negotiation stage, you have to be willing to really analyze and say, can I compromise? If the liabilities outweigh the assets, you've got the strength inside to do the third thing. If something is worse than it is better, third thing, cut it off, baby. Confront it. Compromise. That doesn't work. Cut it off. Cut it off. I didn't say put it aside. I didn't say wait till next season. I didn't say keep everybody happy. I said you got to cut it off because it's toxic and you're losing life to it. As long as there's still a connection, there's some sort of feeding taking place. There's nutrition that's flowing through that umbilical cord no matter how small or tiny the cord is. You're still losing the life flow through it. You're still losing blood through it. And you've got to be able to separate it. If the liabilities outweigh the assets, this is strange teaching for most Christians because when we're taught as kids, you just got to love everybody. Christians, they love everybody. And some people don't want to be Christians because they can't love. <laughs> They're like, I'm not going to be somebody's punching bag relationally. Turn the other cheek, stop slapping me. That's more like it. But what we don't understand is, yes, we do have to love everybody. But you don't have to trust everybody. You do have to be in relationship with everybody, but not everybody's in the same category as everybody else. You understand what I'm saying? See, my love is given. We're commanded as believers to love everyone. That's in the Bible. It's true. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. Love everybody. We're commanded as believers, last week's message, to forgive everyone. And I know it seems counterintuitive, but those are both for our sake, not theirs. When God says love everybody, he's saying you live free, open, and free. When he says forgive everybody, you live free. These are you love, you forgive. So we're commanded to love. We're commanded to forgive. Those are our, to our advantage whether they do it or not. But we are not commanded to trust everyone. The Bible says trust in the Lord with all your heart. And if you're trusting him with all your heart, your heart isn't trusting someone else with even a sliver. I have a great relationship with my dad. He's an amazing man of God. I've known him my whole life. He's always been the same person, integral, amazing guy. If I built, and I said, I trust you with all of my heart, I'm an idiot. And I'm bound to be hurt. Because he's not Jesus. The only person I trust with all my heart is the Lord. He says, trust in me with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your relationships, in all your ways, acknowledge me in it first. And I will direct your steps, your path. I will illuminate your life. See, 
My trust is given, but it's only given all the way to Jesus. He's the only one that does not disappoint. He's the only one that does not bring me hope deferred. Mistrust is earned. Trust is given. Mistrust is earned. Trust is easily given somewhat. But once you've lost it, it's hard to find it again, right? You say trust can be given in a moment, but it can be lost in a moment forever. So this is the question I want to ask you today. Who are the helper relationships? Who are the friend relationships? And finally, who are the predators? What's toxic in your life? We're going to be those who take advantage with relationship with Jesus. He came, his coming came to heal this with God. It's great. But more importantly, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. He came to heal relationship horizontally. I'm going to take advantage. Confrontation, compromise, and cutting off. All three of those things take a very strong person with security that comes from only Jesus. So many people have been beat down by life. I get it. They don't have the willpower to stand up to do something that, address something, confront something that's harming them, toxic to them, sabotaging their destiny. But I believe with truth this morning comes power. The Bible says the truth will set you free. The truth of God's word has the power to set you free. So you can have peace on earth and literally goodwill towards everybody. That's a relationship worth going after. I want to pray grace to be released to you. And that something toxic comes off your life today. And if something's pulling the worst out of you, something that's trying to get to God's plan for your life, that you would have the courage to act on something that you've heard today in this Christmas season. That you have the courage to confront it. Let's say it together. Confront it. To compromise. Negotiate with it. Or finally, cut it off if the liabilities outweigh the advantages. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're in this place today and you are dealing with relationship confusion, you have relationship confusion and you're categorizing people and getting hurt by people all the time, I want to help you. I want to pray for you this morning. If that's you today and you find yourself in the middle of a toxic situation and you need God's help with heads bowed, eyes closed, who are you today? Can you just raise your hand? I want to know who I'm praying with this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. 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 Hands going up all over the place, figuring out who's a predator, who's a helper, who's a friend. That's awesome. I'm going to ask that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation and the courage to confront it and to make a decision based on something. Action is better than head knowledge. Come on. We want to get into what God's best is for your life. Father, today I release grace and I release mercy in this place. We say there is no condemnation for any bad relational decisions that have been made here. Today we're going to take advantage of the principles that you've shown us through your word. And today we're going to ask that you would give our hearts and our minds wisdom and clarity. God, we ask that as we move through these three steps, you give us clarity. What do I need to confront? Where is the cutoff? What do I need to uh, negotiate with today? Lord, some of these relationships, they're worth salvaging. They're our family. They're our friends. They're just out of order. Some of them have been mismanaged for our whole lives. God, give us wisdom to get 
to the confrontation and the correction in Jesus' name. God, give us the strength that's necessary to cut off every broken, dysfunctional thing in our lives. Jesus, we thank you for your example. Come on. We thank you for your coming. We thank you for the advantage of having life to the fullest with people and with your Father. You are so powerful and you are so practical and we praise you for it. Receive this word in Jesus' name. Everybody said, come on, come on, come on. There's another group of people I want to pray for this morning, and that's those people that have walked away from relationship with Jesus. Maybe you stopped relating to him. You used to know him, but you don't now, and your relationship is dead. I want to tell you, with Jesus, he shifts, he transforms. Everything that's happening out here, I believe, is directly related with what's happening right here. If you get this right, in alignment and agreement with relationship with Jesus, these relationships are so much easier to get into alignment and agreement with. So today, I want to introduce you to my best friend. He's the best thing that's ever happened to me. If you've never met him online or you're just meeting him for the first time today or you've, you've known him and you've walked away from him today, go ahead and say, I say yes. One word, I say yes to 94090. For those of you who are in this room, with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to connect to Jesus, simply by raising your hand, an act of faith, that's what it is, with nobody looking around, I would love to pray for you right where you're at today in your seat to get that relationship right vertically with God again. If that comes into alignment, everything horizontal starts to come into alignment as well. So today I want to set you free. The only freedom is found in relationship with Jesus first. Come on, today he's your, he can be your source and your supply for supernatural strength to confront and to cut off. So today, if that's you, on the count of three, simply just, I want to know who I'm praying with today. One, come on, don't wait, don't hesitate. This is literally the best relationship. Not controlling, not about what he wants from you. It's about what he has for you. Two, yes, today is your day of freedom. Three, that's me, Pastor. I want to relate to Jesus. Thank you, man. That's awesome. I want to get back into relationship. Thank you, sir. That's awesome. I want to get back into relationship with Jesus. I want to get into relationship for the first time. I'm scanning the balcony. If that's you, all spread out up there today. Man, he's the best thing. Come on, we celebrate these decisions. Amen, church? Incredible. Best relationship in my life. It's the one place I can put all my trust and never be disappointed. Today, let's say it together, church. Jesus, I give you all my heart. I give you everything I am. I give you everything I'm not. Would you heal me from the hurt? Would you rescue me from myself? Forgive me of my shortcomings. Have your way in my heart. I want good heart issues. So Jesus, I surrender to you. Make me a new creation. I give my life to you. And everybody said, amen. Come on, we celebrate with you. If you made that decision for the first time, you recommitted your life to Jesus. The best thing you can do is get into relationship with the people of God. I know it's scary. I know it can be sketchy. I know it's not your instinct, but today I want you to connect to them.